It's time now for the Anchor Baptist Church broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for an address where you can send all correspondence. And now, for today's message, here's Dr. Barton. As I face the raging sea, the anchor holds. to you a verse in the book of Exodus chapter number 8 and I want to look at one verse in particular and then we're going to go back and look at several verses but I'm looking in verse number 9 the book of Exodus chapter number 8 verse number 9 Exodus being the second book of the Bible if you don't have a Bible there should be one there in the pew in front of you And if you don't own one, you're welcome to take that one home with you as our gift. Glad for you to do that. The book of Exodus, chapter number 8, and we're looking in verse number 9. The Bible says, And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house that they may remain in the river only. Now this verse, there's a lot behind this verse, but one of the plagues was the plagues of frogs. And there were frogs everywhere. The Bible said that there were frogs. Uh, They came up and they were all over the place. They came up out of the rivers and uh, they were in the kneading troughs and they were in the ovens and everywhere that you looked, Uh, Nothing but frogs. They were all over the place. They were in their houses everywhere. And you got all of these frogs that are just, that have covered the land. And the man of God asked Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a type of the flesh. Egypt's a type of the world. And he asked Pharaoh and said, When shall I entreat the Lord on your behalf to get these frogs out of here? And Pharaoh said, well, I believe I'll spend just one more night with them frogs. He said, I don't read that. Well, that's what he said. He said, do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. So in other words, he wanted to try it. He, just, just one more night with them frogs. Now that may not be good English, but that's my title. One more night with them frogs. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we pray that you'd help us now. May your word have its place in our hearts, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. What is it about the heart of man that we don't want to admit when we're licked? And it carries over into spiritual things. I mean, we, we, we will not admit that we're licked. I mean, we're taught, is that, is that true? Don't we, teach our, don't we teach our boys to, you know, suck it up, boy. Uh, quit that crying. Men don't cry. And, uh, you know, so we go through life going, that didn't hurt. And we go behind, you know, where they might look and go, ooh, you know, but, oh, that didn't hurt. You know. And, and we're, we're taught to do that. And, and we're, you know, to, to toughen up. We, it ain't bother me. It ain't no problem with me. 
What happens is that that same toughness and that same uh, 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 inability to tell the truth about when we're hurt or when we're in need or, the, or the, the, that same uh, situation carries over into spiritual things. And we do that when, and we resist God with the very same things. The Lord will touch us in a certain area and we'll say, that don't hurt. That don't bother me. Or I'll deal with that tomorrow. It's not that big a deal. I'll deal with that tomorrow. One of the famous lines in Gone with the Wind, Scarlett O'Hara, she was always going to deal with it tomorrow. I won't think about that today. I'll think about that tomorrow. Well, that was exactly where Pharaoh said. He said, I want you to entreat the Lord for these frogs. He said, but it's not that bad. I mean, you know, we, we can handle it. It ain't like there's no hurry or anything. You don't have to do it today. Just uh, tomorrow will be fine. I'm satisfied there's a whole bunch of Egyptians that would have been glad for him to say right now. And it could have easily just said, would you do it right now before you leave? But he said, no, no, that's no it's not that big a deal. It's not, a, it's not an emergency. Just tomorrow. Is that not right? How many ladies here, you have trouble getting your husband to go to the doctor? Don't raise your hands. Don't point at them. Don't quit hitting them on the shoulder. Everybody knows what you're doing. Don't do that, okay? Just, you know, how many, they won't they want admit they're sick. They won't admit they got a problem. No, there ain't nothing wrong with me. I can handle it. Uh, but honey, but roll aids will fix it. I, it'll be all right. When you go on some of these 911 calls about how, sometimes, now sometimes you get folks that, you know, they meet you at the ambulance. They meet the ambulance at the road. They're frequent flyers. If they, you, know, you get frequent flyer miles, they'd get free rides on occasion because, you know, they call so much, you know, you just, you know automatically when you get there. But sometimes you spend most of your time trying to talk the person who dialed 911 or usually the, the wife dialed and you spend most of your time trying to talk the husband into going to the hospital. I've seen men in full-blown heart attacks say, oh, I'll just take me a little bit of soda water. It'll be all right. Oh, I'll just take me a, you know, I'll just take me a, 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 a you know, little, little something. It'll be all right. And you're going, look, you EKG, man, you got something going wrong here. This thing, yeah, but, yeah, but I, I think it'll pass. I, I'm starting to feel better already. Yeah, it's because we're giving you oxygen, you know. Yeah, and it's because, you know, we're giving you nitro. Yeah, of course you're going to feel better. But you're having a heart attack. You need to go to the hospital. Well, I, I got an appointment next week with my doctor. I'll just, I think I'll just wait and see him. Well, as, as I've had some say, well, they weren't, too, they weren't in a full heart attack. They were. You'd be, they'd be screaming, help, you know. They hadn't got to that point yet. But it's coming. Well, can I say that's the way that we oftentimes are spiritually. And again and again, God dealt with Pharaoh. And the scripture says that God hardened his heart. But at the same time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, it's hard for me to understand that the same sunshine that melts the butter hardens the clay. But it does. Did you realize the same gospel uh, that, that softens some's hearts? And in a service like this, uh, the gospel will soften some folks' hearts and it will harden other people's hearts. And they'll resist it. 
Some people will be broken and they'll be moved and they'll be touched. Others, they'll go out of here harder than they came in. Matter of fact, we've raised a generation of gospel-hardened people. They're so hard to the gospel, I mean, it wouldn't matter what happened. They're not going to budge. They're not going to blink. They're not going to budge. They're not going to in any way uh, admit that God has dealt with them in, in, in any manner. Well, let's look at the ways that God dealt with the children of Egypt and with Pharaoh. Look back with me in the latter part of chapter number seven. Of course, uh, immediately when, the, when they go into the presence of Pharaoh, Moses goes in with his shepherd's uh, attire and with this shepherd's rod, Aaron's rod that budded. And they go into the presence of Pharaoh, the, the king of the world at the time. They walk into his presence and here is this shepherd, here is this uh, outcast from the kingdom. Of course, they, I, I'm sure they recognize him. They know who he is. Uh, he's a wanted man there in Egypt from years before, but he walks into their presence and throws down his rod and it becomes a serpent. But the scripture says that immediately the magicians of Egypt, they cast down their rods also and they became serpents. And so that caused the heart of Pharaoh to be hardened. He said, ah, if, you know, if my magicians can do it, I mean, it's just a cheap trick. It's just a magician's trick. It's no big deal. Well, it was a big deal because Moses' serpent ended up eating the other two serpents that were made. And the scripture says over and over again that the magicians of Egypt copied the plague. Well, my question is this. Why would you need more blood, more water turned to blood? We've already done that. The, the true power would have been to turn it back. The true power would have been to roll back the frogs. The true power would have been to roll back the hailstones and to roll back the locusts and all the other plagues. But they can't do that. But each time the magicians, they duplicate what God's done as far as a judgment, as far as a plague is concerned, and as a result of that, the hearts get harder and harder every single time that God brings a judgment upon the children of Israel, or the children of Egypt, and I may, I may say Israel, it's a, it's a force of habit. Look what the Bible says in verse number 20, the latter part of verse number 20 of chapter number seven. This was the first plague. The Bible said that the rivers turned to blood and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Now, the Nile River in Egypt, if you've ever been to Egypt, Egypt is a desert country. It is the very western edge of the Sahara Desert. And you can go not even a half mile from the Nile River into the higher plain and it turns into sand and desert. When you go to the pyramids, there's not one blade of grass growing anywhere around the pyramids. The Sphinx, there's not a blade of grass. When you go down to, down to Memphis and Saqqara, where Joseph's palace was, not a blade of grass there. It is nothing but desert. The steppe pyramid, all desert. But from the pyramids, you can look into the fertile Nile Valley, and it's just as green and luscious. It's, it's one of the only places that I've ever been that the, I, will, I take this back, there's two places I've been. One of them was a valley in Israel that you might know as the Valley of Megiddo, or you might also know it as the Valley of Armageddon. 
The Valley of Armageddon has soil as black as any woods dirt in the forest and as moist and water and stuff grows out of it to the point. I mean, it, it grows, the, the growing rate in that valley, it's so fertile that it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of the biggest tractors that I've ever seen are there. They have tractors that are articulating. They have dual tires on the front, big tires. I mean, the big tall ones on the front. So they have four tires on the front axle and four on the back axle to keep them from sinking into the mud because that valley is so moist and so fertile. And they pull plows like I've never seen in, in America. And they plow, I mean, as far as you can see down that valley. It is an unbelievable place. And there's only one other place on the planet I've ever been that looks or reminds me of that valley. And that is the Nile Valley, the land of Goshen, or the Crescent, the Nile Valley uh, there in from, from uh, just down below Cairo, back up the delta in toward Alexandria. And that was where the children of Israel lived, the land of Goshen. And that is the same way. It is a black soil. It is the silt deposits that have come down the river uh, through the, the years and the flooding. And it has flooded that Nile plain and brought black topsoil. And it is so rich and it grows. You couldn't believe what it grows. It is some of the most beautiful land that I've ever laid eyes on. It is luscious. It's tropical. Gorgeous. But you can step just, I mean, not even a half mile away and you're in pure desert where that water doesn't flow. And then right back down where the water is, it's, it's green as it can be. Well, the Egyptians saw this and so they believed that the Nile was their God, if you will. They worshiped the Nile River as the patron God of Egypt. And so they worshiped the river because they saw that it brought life. And the water that came gave everything life, and life couldn't sustain itself if it were not for the Nile. By the way, the Nile is like the French Broad. It flows backwards. You talk about upper, the upper French Broad? Well, that's south, isn't it? The French Broad flows north. The upper end of the county is the south end, and the lower end of the county is the north end. Egypt's the same way. You go to upper Egypt, you're going south. Because that's the higher elevations where the Nile originates on down even in the next country. But it flows the mouth and it goes north its entire trek and it empties into the northern end of the Mediterranean. But instead of going out the mouth of the, of the Nile going out just one mouth into the river, it spreads out like veins. And so there are hundreds of tributaries. So the Nile has a main channel. Uh, up near Cairo, actually there's a couple of channels I think in Cairo, but when you get out of Cairo, it branches out into just little small streams and between there, some of the most fertile places and fruits and vegetables are grown from all, I mean just that sustain the whole country and they even export. It grows so much. So what's the first thing that happened? The waters were turned to blood and therefore the patron deity of the Egypt the Nile River was judged, and the scripture says when that uh, miracle took place, this is what the, the results was, neither did he hearken. Pharaoh didn't listen, even though the Nile was turned to blood. Well, then we come to our text verse. The scripture says frogs were the next plague. Now, frogs, they were the symbol of fruitfulness, and they were worshiped. Uh, to a degree as fruitfulness. And they thought that 
because I guess the way that frogs multiply, that uh, if you saw a frog or if there was a frog uh, living nearby, that uh, it, was, it was a good luck thing, I guess you'd say. How many believe, here have, have believe that a whippoorwill's bad luck? You believe that a whippoorwill's bad luck? You know what a whippoorwill is? Laying in a tree behind you, you know. I mean, I know people that, that go all to pieces. If a whippoorwill uh, gets in the tree behind her house, and I mean, they, they think somebody's going to die. They think somebody, I mean, they think something bad's going to happen. It's a sign of bad news. If a whippoorwill uh, comes to your house, oh, that's bad news. That, that's, that's, that's awful. Something bad is going to happen. Black cat runs across your path. Something bad is going to happen. Hello? Break a mirror. Seven years of bad luck. Hello? I was telling them in Sunday school, did you know that the ships, when you get on these cruise ships, they don't have a 13th deck? They have the 12th deck and the 14th deck, but they don't have a 13th deck. Mariners are superstitious about that. And nothing has 13 on it on a ship, ever. They won't have anything that's 13. In, in any way, there's never, you'll never find the number 13 on a boat. Or used to be anyway you didn't. Because the mariners are so superstitious. Very, very much so. Well, the superstition, they believed that the frogs were good luck. And so God takes that and puts it in their face and all of a sudden there's frogs everywhere. And so it's not just good luck, they're having wonderful luck. Because when they open the, the, the oven, there's frogs. When they get their kneading troughs, here's frogs. Everywhere you look, it's frogs everywhere. But Pharaoh says, well... Just give me one more night with them frogs. I believe, we, I believe we can stand it one more night. Entreat them tomorrow. It's not, you know what he was saying in effect? It's not that big a deal. So what? It's not that big a deal. Well, the scripture says, then God sent lice. Lice. You ever dealt with lice? Don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Because you don't want nobody to know. But, but we have dealt with lice from a mission trip. Yeah, we've dealt with them. But we, well, we, we dealt with them in daycare. When we had, that's a better illustration. When we had daycare, we got lice in the daycare. You talk about a mess. We had to send out health notices to all the parents. We had to get down and examine the young'uns. I mean, we had to do all this stuff, and, and the kids, if they had, we'd have to, when they come back to school, you had to, you've heard the term nitpicking? Oh, you're just nitpicking. You know where that comes from? A lice egg, it lay, the lice lays its egg on the hair shaft just above the scalp. And it's a little white thing. And the egg is a little white thing on the root shaft. And the only way you can get those things out is with a fine tooth comb. That's what they used to have them for. They always had a fine tooth comb. Or you actually have to pull them out and get them and pull the nits out. And we'd have to get those young'uns down. And when they'd come back, check them to see if they make sure there was no more nits. And of course, no more lice. Makes my head crawl just talk about it. Oh, my word. How would you like it if the dust turned to lice? 
and the wind blows down there and the dust is everywhere and it turns to lice and everywhere there's dust, it breaks out into lice. Can you imagine that? No wonder the pictures of them pharaohs and all that bunch had their head shaved. Ain't a bit of wonder. That is one of the cures, by the way. <coughs> is, uh, that's one of the cures is, is to shave your head. Now, my mama's brothers, they had another cure. There's an old swayback mule they had, and it had lice. That mule had lice. And so, this old boy from down the street, he was a teenager, and he was kind of a wisecracker. And he said, I tell you what will cure that lice. He said, get some kerosene. He said, soak that kerosene on the back of that mule. He said, that'll cure that lice. So they soaked the back of that old mule with kerosene. That old boy, I think he was smoking. He just struck a match and flipped it on the back of that mule, and that mule blazed up. It cured the lice. Tore the end of the barn down, but it, tore, it cured the lice. Took hide and all, you know. Years ago, and I guess that was the mange, wasn't it? Years ago, they said you could go to Acousta Bridge on the old highway. Remember that? and throw your dog in down there at the, at the old highway years ago and he'd cure the mange. Do you remember that? People go down there and they'd drop their dog in the river because there's so much stuff coming down it. Well, it's way back when. That, uh, and he'd cure the mange. We never, I don't think we ever tried it, but they, they, they claimed that would be the case. But anyway, they had lice and it was all over. All the Egyptians would eat up with lice. And you know what the answer was? And he hearkened not unto them with lice. Well, if lice is not bad enough, then the next plague is flies. The Bible says, and there came verse 24 of chapter 8, and the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies. And the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. One fly will drive me crazy. But a lot of flies... I mean, I couldn't take it. I was preaching in a little place called Bani Mazar. Bani Mazar is in Upper Egypt. It's down, it's down the Nile River south. I had to ride a train to get there. And so I was preaching there. It was hot. The place was packed. And there was, I don't know exactly why. I guess because it's so dry and there's no moisture. If you would open a Coca-Cola, you'd always get them to leave the cap with you. And the way you drank a Coke was, you'd leave the cap on it, put it all the way to your mouth, jerk the cap off and stick the bottle in your mouth, and drink it and put the cap back on it and set it back down. Because if you didn't, it'd be full of flies. they just kamikazes. they just drive right in your drink. I mean, they just go right in it. And it, when, at mealtime, they don't have any screens over there. At meal, the women would stand back and fan. And you know, you've seen movies where they do that and you think, all that's air conditioning and the, and the, the women are kind of worshiping the men, you know, kind of doing obeisance to the, any what it is, they're keeping the flies off of you. Literally, that's what they're doing. They're swarm, sw swarming the flies off because the table will get black with them. And so they always have to keep something moving to keep the flies moving. It's nasty. But I reckon, me spitting and carrying on, I reckon the flies sense moisture and I'm in a big way of preaching out of Bani Mazar, and there was a fly flew right down my throat. And there wasn't but two options. 
either he had to come back up and a lot of things with it, or he had to go on down. And it was a split second decision. And I knew throwing up on those people wasn't gonna be good. So I swallowed him. Live. For the gospel's sake. Somebody asked me, said, did you, did, you feel him, did you feel him wiggle? And no, I did not. But he hit me right in the back of the throat. I mean, he hit me right in the throat and forced me. It was one of two things. And he was one of them big old green flies too. What no little of And wham, he got me right in the back of the throat. And I swallowed right big. And I said, I'll think about that tomorrow. <laughs> and I kept on preaching. Oh, my soul. Yeah. But can you imagine grievous swarm of flies? They're everywhere. They're on everything. everything. I mean, it's just covering you up. I can get one fly in the house, and it drives me to insanity. I can't stand a fly in the bedroom. I mean, it, it, just one fly. And we've got vaulted ceilings. You ought to see me throwing stuff, trying to kill the flies. You see, I mean, it's, it's World War Three. I mean, you know, and, and flies, they're, they're amazing how quick they are. And it's amazing how, how hard it is to kill them. And uh, I can't even imagine this. And yet the scripture says with the flies that he, he made some concessions. And this time he said, well, go sacrifice. He said, but now just don't go very far. That's what the devil tells. That's what the devil says with this thing of serving God. You, you, you can, you can do it. Just don't go too far with it. And Moses said, "We can't do that. We're fixing to sacrifice cattle, and if we do that, it's going to be an abomination on the side of the Egyptians. And we can't do that." And the Bible said uh, that uh, again. He hardened his heart. Well, verse. Uh, Verse number six of chapter number nine is the fifth plague. And the Lord did all that on the morrow and all the cattle of Egypt died. So now there is a, there's been the plagues upon the cattle of the, of the lice and the flies, but now the cattle themselves die. And of course, cattle uh, were worshiped. There, were, there was a, a, a God named Hathor. And Hathor was called, called the God of the sky, but for some reason, the God of the sky was embodied in a cow, was, was pictured as a cow, and so they worshiped cows. And the scripture said their cows died. And you know what the response was? And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Well, God sent boils upon them. Verse number, chapter number nine, verse number 10. And it became a boil breaking forth with blames. And so now the Egyptians have boils on them from head to toe. And this time the magicians can't come and duplicate it because they're covered up with boils. And when they got the boils all over them, the scripture says that Pharaoh hearkened not unto them. So the next time, the seventh plague is found in verse number 23 of chapter number 9. And the Lord rained hail upon Egypt. <clears throat> but not only hail, the Bible says that it thundered. And the Bible says that fire ran upon the ground. 
And so it was, a, it was a devastating hail. It killed and stripped the leaves off the trees and the, broke the branches and killed folks that were outside and, the, and any kind of animals that were outside. It was a devastating thing to the point that it caused Pharaoh to say, I have sinned. He said, tell you what, let the men go, but don't take your family. First he said, don't go far. Secondly, he said, don't take your families. Just the men go and sacrifice. And most said, no, we can't do that. We can't leave our wives and children behind. We gotta, we gotta all go, it's all or nothing. And the Bible says, uh, neither would he let the children of Israel go. The scripture says then, chapter 10, verse number 14. And locusts went up all over the land. I've never seen locusts personally, but they tell me that locusts looks like a grasshopper, but it's doubled wing rascal, and that they can devour, when they, they come, they will devour every green thing inside, all the grains, all the leaves, and they will strip in minutes what it would take nature years to repair itself from. And now if, if all these other things not been bad enough, the locusts come through and strip what little is left. And so as a result of the, of the locust, this time he's getting a little more religious each time. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God. And then he says, and against you. But then the bottom result was he would not let the children of Israel go. Well, God sent then a thick darkness. Verse 22 of chapter number 9. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. My grandma used to say, where was Moses when the lights went out? She'd always say that when she turned the light out at night. Where was Moses when the lights went out? And the answer was in the dark. That's the only thing I ever, that I ever, that I ever uh, grandma ever said that I found to be wrong. Moses wasn't in the dark when the lights went out. Moses was in the light. The Bible says there was light in the land of Goshen. Children of Israel had light, children, but children of Egypt didn't. The Bible says it was thick darkness. What does that mean, preacher? I think it was darkness so thick you could just about touch it. There was no light of any kind. So I said, oh, that couldn't happen. Well, it did happen. And it happened for three days. There was thick darkness in the land. And so Pharaoh, and by the way, they worshiped the sun god. Matter of fact, some of the Pharaohs blinded themselves by forcing their eyes open into the sun. Ra was the sun god. They worshiped the sun. And so this, this was an attack upon Ra, the sun god, when darkness came over the whole land. But as a result of it, Pharaoh says, go, take your children, take your wives, but don't take your flocks and your herds. Leave them here. They can't go with you. Moses said, that's not acceptable. We've got to have our flocks and herds to sacrifice. That won't work. And he told him, he said, you won't see my face anymore. Don't, don't come back in here. Don't you see my face no more. For in it, the day you do, you're going to die. Don't you see my face no more. And so he set himself up for the final judgment. And the final judgment was found in verse number 29 of chapter number 12. And it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land. And the Bible says that did it. 
The firstborn of Pharaoh's house died. The firstborn of every household died. The firstborn of every, uh, apparently of every animal even died. All, I mean, there's death in every place. The firstborn died. And so the, the immediate response is, Pharaoh said, go, serve the Lord as you have said. And so they all pack up. God gives them favor and they spoil the Egyptians. They take with them jewels and gold and borrow all this stuff and they go out. And the Bible says even a dog didn't bark. And they left. But I reckon come daylight, he got over his conviction. He got over uh, what he had said. And the scripture says that he said this. Why have we done this? That we let Israel go from serving us. Why did we do it? And he sent his army after them. And of course, you know, they were destroyed in the Red Sea. I said all that to say this. There is a never-ending struggle against the flesh. There is a never-ending struggle. It is not going to surrender. It's not going to go down without a fight. And let me tell you something. Sometimes what you do, when you do business with God in the altar, what you do, I, want, I mean, by the time you get back on Sunday night, the devil's already rubbed your nose in it. The devil's already changed your mind. He's already, oh, you made a fool of yourself, or you shouldn't have done this, or you shouldn't have done I mean, this thing of getting right with God and giving in when God speaks to your heart, not the next day, not tomorrow. I'm going to spend another, oh, I'm okay. I'm going to spend another night with them frogs. That is the natural way the flesh operates. We're going to be tough. And we're going to resist. And we're going to be a man about things. Let me tell you something. The man that God respects is one that says, I'm wrong. It's my fault. I've sinned, and I'm sorry. But I'm just not sorry, sorry. I'm sorry enough to quit it. Pharaoh was sorry, but just not sorry enough to quit it because he came after him, and ultimately it led to his demise and his destruction. This morning, I wonder how many of us, there's something that God's dealt with us about, and we say, just one more night with the, with, the, with the frogs. I'll deal with that later. I'm not interested in dealing with that right now. I'll put that off. And the, and the devil, the world, and the flesh gives us 10,000 reasons that we're going to put it off and we're going to deal with it later. But did you realize every time you resist God, every time you resist the Holy Ghost, just as Pharaoh did, the plagues became more intense, the plagues became more destructive and more detrimental, and every time that Pharaoh resisted God, the Bible says God hardened his heart. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. When the Spirit of God speaks to you, it's a good thing when you respond to it because it softens your heart. But when you resist it, it hardens your heart and like a callus, before long get to where you really don't feel it at all and where you really don't have the ability to respond to what God has to say. And as a result of that, we have raised a calloused 
gospel-hardened generation. Somebody said, oh, we need more of the gospel. Friend, we've had more gospel than any people deserve in three lifetimes. Oh, we need a move of God. Well, I'll agree, we need a move of God, but let me tell you something. We've had more moves of God than most people deserve in lifetime. We don't deserve one. But we've experienced move after move after move of God. And yet we find ourselves in the same old hardened position in the same old hardened place. I believe I'll spend one more night with them frogs. I'll deal with that later. As we stand together, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The anchor hold Though the ship is the anchor You've been listening to the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. You can address all correspondence to 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. Join us again next time for another message. The anchor holds its fire.